good to be back, kind of in our normal format, and it's really good to be together this morning. This is one of my favorite moments for us as a community, these times where we get to celebrate baptism together. And so we're going to do that in just a moment, but before we get to that, I want to invite you to meet me in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have a Bible... You can open there. Matthew is in the New Testament about 80% of the way through your Bible. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. And someone on our team would love to come around uh, and make sure you have a, a copy, which, by the way, you can take that with you, too. That's our gift to you if you need that this morning. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the story of Jesus, one of the accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in uh, this thing that we call the Bible and our scriptures. Matthew chapter 28 is the end of the story. And the words that we are going to look at today are some of Jesus' last words. In fact, the last words recorded in Matthew's telling of the Jesus story. So Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at just a couple verses today, 18 through 20, where it says this, Then Jesus came to them. Them here refers to his disciples. This a group of people, his closest team that he had spent three years investing in, and listen to what he says to them. All authority, not some authority, not a little bit of authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this morning, in addition to celebrating baptisms, we're wrapping up our fall conversation, this series that we've been calling Our Kind of Crazy. We end this conversation the same way that we ended our journey through Matthew. If you were with us this past year, you know we spent a lot of time in the book of Matthew, and so we end in the same place, these final words of Jesus, oftentimes called the Great Commission. Now, if you look up the word commission in a dictionary, you will find that there is a bunch of definitions for this word. There's one definition in particular I want to draw out for us. This is the third definition, according to Webster. Commission, authority to act for, on behalf of, or in place of another, a task or matter entrusted to one as an agent for another. This is what Jesus is doing here in this final moment with his closest team. Giving them authority. Giving, in fact, away his authority to them to act on his behalf. They now become, and I love this idea, this phrase, they now become Jesus' agents called, given this mission, this task, to go and to disciple and to teach and to baptize. Now, maybe an even simpler way of breaking this down for us today is this, the word commission broken down into co-mission. This truth that we are invited to partner with Jesus in this huge project called the Kingdom of heaven. We are called to partner with Jesus in this project called the Kingdom of Heaven, and that is what we've been exploring uh, this fall, this past eight weeks. We've been getting into what does this mean for us, for Discovery Christian Church in 2019 here in Davis? What does this look like for us? And one of the things that we've articulated over and over again, our mission is to help people discover the good news of Jesus. And this is why we exist as a community. And this morning, as we 
think about baptisms for a few minutes, and then when we actually do baptisms, I mean, this really gets to the heart of what we're all about as a church. Helping people discover and then celebrating the moment of good news, finding good news in Jesus. So we're going to talk about that a little bit here for a few minutes, and then we will actually uh, celebrate baptisms with a couple of people. But before we get to all of that, let's pause here and pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all that you have given us. And particularly this week as we head towards Thanksgiving, we pause for just a moment to consider all of the ways that you have blessed us. Whether we feel it or not in this moment, God, you have been so good to us. And so we begin this morning in that place of deep gratitude for Jesus, for his death, his resurrection, and for all that that means for us. Father, we also know that in a space like this, we bring in this morning with us all kinds of things that may not, uh, it may not feel like you are good. And it may not feel like we have a lot to celebrate. And so we name that and acknowledge that. We ask you to hold those things for us so that we can be present in this moment, so that we can hear from your spirit, so that we can celebrate the truth, the big truth of the universe. That you have overcome our sin, you've overcome our relational distance to be with us in the person of Jesus. And that it is his death and resurrection that make it possible for us to be in right relationship again. So help us, God, to remember and to celebrate the good news of Jesus, the good news of baptism this morning. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, amen. All right, well, let's begin with this, okay? Anybody remember these? These uh, are called maps, and they're made out of paper, and you used to have to, uh, like, unfold them, and then they're, like, in this weird trifold thing, and you'd try to put it back together, and you never do it right the first time, and then it would mess up the folds, and then you just, like, get frustrated and stuff it in your glove box. But this is how we used to navigate, all right, with these, with these paper Maps. Now, of course, these days we have GPS and Google Maps and Waze and all of these wonderful things, but not too long ago, this was how we got around. <clears throat> now, I'm going to uh, present an argument in favor of the physical map in, in just a moment, but uh, I say this uh, as a huge fan of GPS and Google Maps, all right? It's a beautiful thing to be able to punch something into your phone and then the Google lady just takes you there, right? And you don't even have to think about it. In 2008, Amy and I got married, uh, my wife Amy and I, and we um, uh, very quickly got into a moving van and drove all the way from Salinas, California to Boston, Massachusetts. This is a great honeymoon idea for those of you who are in that phase. Highly recommend a long road trip in a moving truck right after you get married. Now, for the most part, we did not have uh, uh, smartphones or GPS, which for the most part wasn't a big deal because to get from Salinas to Boston, it's basically just 80 and 90. It's a lot of 80 and 90, but that's about as complicated as that trip gets. However, we had to make one stop in Colorado because that's where I had been living at the time, and uh, we needed to pick up my stuff, and then I was doing my banking with like Bank of Colorado or something like that, but some branch or, or, or bank that did not have any branches in Boston. So I had to get my money out of the bank. And, and, you know, I did not have very much money at that time at all. But it felt like a big deal. 
and it felt like we have got to get this into our joint account with Bank of America as fast as we possibly can. Well, it turns out that in 2008, there were no Bank of America ATMs between eastern Colorado and Des Moines, Iowa. So for uh, several hours, we are driving with this check uh, in my pocket, and I'm like so paranoid. Oh my gosh, we're going to lose it, or someone's going to steal it from us, and then we'll be poorer than we already are. Uh, So anyway, we drive all the way to Des Moines, and we did have directions to get to an ATM there, and we pull up to the ATM, and I don't actually remember... Uh, whether it was not there or if it just didn't work, but either way, it became very clear this is not the right spot. We're not going to be able to deposit this check here. And so now we're stuck in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, It's late at night. We have no idea where we are. We have no uh, magical Google lady to tell us where to go. So we start calling people and and calling people in California because it's earlier time there. And uh, we finally get a hold of Amy's sister, and she actually, like, on the phone is telling us, turn left here, turn right there. And we finally, after like so many hours of of searching for this thing, we finally find the ATM. And I, by this point, have completely forgotten that we are driving a moving truck. And so I pull in to the drive-through, you know, overhang and just totally scrape the roof of our moving truck. It was a very traumatic moment. And I, I apologize to anybody here from Iowa, but I do not have fond memories of Des Moines, Iowa. All of that to say, at that point in time, a GPS system would have been super, super helpful. I am a big fan. But there is something important and still, I think, very beautiful about a physical map. And one of the things that I think a physical map does better than our current GPS systems is you can open that thing up and you can lay it out and you have this moment of orientation where you're able to look around and go, oh, there was that thing and there was that thing and there was that thing and this point Right here, this is where we are. That sort of aha moment of this is where I am. Now as a community here at Discovery, we are very much focused on the journey. And we say things like, you can belong here before you believe. And we're more interested in the direction than the destination. We're not going to be linear or formulaic, but on any journey... Whether you are driving across the country or on this uh, journey with Jesus, it is so important to have markers and to have these orientation moments where we can say, oh, this is where I am. This is part of the good news, the gift of baptism. It is a marker moment. It is a moment where you are able to say right here and right now, this is where I am. I am, finding yourself on that map. Now, what I want to do here for a moment is give give us three reasons why this marker moment is so important. Why do we uh, celebrate baptisms and pause, you know, a couple times a year to do this so that people have this moment of saying, this is where I am. First reason is this. Baptism is a sign, it is a marker that we have responded to the good news of Jesus. It is a response moment. Over and over throughout the New Testament, when people come to this place of realizing just how good Jesus is, who he is, what he's done for us, we see the response is that they get in some water and they get baptized. Up on the screen here, you should see a bunch of verses from Acts, all these different times where people respond to the good news of Jesus 
by being baptized. And what's interesting is that in almost every single one of these circumstances, it's also quite risky to go public with your faith, to say, I now follow this Jesus. These people were taking a great risk there. But this is the repeated pattern of the New Testament. One example comes from Acts chapter 8. There is an Ethiopian eunuch riding around in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah, like you do. And, uh, and he happens to come across uh, the path of a guy named Philip. Philip was a disciple of Jesus, and uh, they strike up a conversation. Philip asks him what he's reading. He explains it, uh, what he's been doing. And then he asks this question. He says to Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip begins with that very passage of Scripture to tell him about the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to the water. The eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Over and over again, we see the physical response to the good news of Jesus is to get in some water and be baptized. Now, a quick clarifying point here. Baptism does not save us. There's nothing particularly magical about getting into a bucket of water and getting dunked. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that saves us. But baptism is a response. It is a performative act. It is a storytelling act. It is a marker on the journey saying, look at what Jesus has done for me. He's done something that I could never do for myself. He's gone down into my mess. And he's rescued me. He's pulled me back up out of this through his death and his resurrection. He has brought me from death to life. Baptism is a response. It is also a marker that we have identified ourselves with Jesus. This is the second thing. There's an identity piece here. Now, Jesus himself was baptized, and so we follow his example. His baptism, very different than ours in many ways, And yet there is one significant way in which they are the same, and it's this identity formation piece. Matthew chapter 3 is one of the scenes where we see Jesus baptized, and when he comes out of the water, his Father, God, Father God, speaks over him, this voice from heaven, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus, we believe, is fully divine, God's son, but we also believe that he was fully human, and I think sometimes we have a hard time particularly with that part of it, but what that means is that Jesus grew up, and he developed, and he had to navigate life just like any of us do. He had to develop a sense of who he was, and so this marker moment is so important for him. So important for his formation because it comes before, this is so important, it comes before he does any of the things that we typically associate with Jesus. Before his teachings and his miracles, before walking on water and feeding 5,000, before confronting religious leadership, before he dies on the cross, and before the resurrection, his father says, look, look at my son. I love him so much, and I am so pleased with him. Imagine what a foundational moment that was for Jesus before he starts to do any of the things, again, we typically think of doing, to have this affirmation spoken over him. 
Now, every, every culture, every community has these kinds of moments, these orientation moments, these rites of passage moments, where somebody who is considered to be an authority says, you are now different than you were before. If you think of like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera or just in our broader U.S. culture, we have these markers of 16 and 18 and 21, right? Where now all of a sudden you have access to something you did not have access to before. These moments where we're told, again, you're new. You're different than you were before. You are now of age. You can now drive a car. You're now a man. You're now a woman. There's some similarities here with baptism as a, as a rite of passage, but I think it goes far deeper than some of those other moments. Another identity marker for us, for better or for worse, is the way that we dress. And the way that we dress is a way of expressing our identity. And, and again, for better or for worse, some people will judge us, obviously, on the ways that we dress. But it's a way of communicating something about who we are. Look at what the New Testament writer Paul says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Clothed in Jesus. This is a totally new identity. Baptism is a statement about who you are. It is an identity formation moment. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Baptism is a statement about who you are. And then it is also a statement about why you are here. Baptism is a marker of the story that we are in. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Think about that for a minute. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were always also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This is our story. Buried with Jesus, raised with Jesus. Romans chapter 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. New life, new creation. This is our story. And it means that we are now on a new adventure. You are part of the mission. Telling your story, sharing the good news, going, discipling, teaching, and baptizing. And this should begin to sound familiar to us because baptism is also a picture of all of our values at play at once. This will be a little bit of review of our fall conversation. But baptism is a picture of right relationships. Right relationship with God and with each other. Baptism is an individual response, but it is also a communal event. It's telling the church, the community, I'm in this with you. We are better together. 
picture of relationships, also a picture of joy. God loves celebrating new life. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We had to celebrate. There's no other option. This picture of joy. Baptism, also a picture of authenticity. It's this true assessment of who we are and where we are, right? Naming where we are on this journey. It's also a great, there's a great humility in this, right? Submitting yourself to getting dunked in a bucket of water. There's honesty in admitting our need for a Savior that we could not save ourselves on our own. And there's this picture of alignment, deep alignment between the inner self and the outer self. Picture of authenticity. And then finally, baptism, also a picture of multiplication. And this brings us back to that, uh, Jesus' last words in Matthew chapter 28. For every person who is baptized, there's a story of investment. Someone shared their good news, extended an invitation, answered a question, whatever that might have been, and God used that interaction, that relationship, that moment to do his work of transformation. So part of the the symbolism of coming out of the water in front of the community is that together, we're we're in this together, this co-mission. We are no longer living for ourselves. We are all together on this grand adventure, participating in the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. And so we go and we serve and we share and we invite and we invest what we've experienced and we watch the kingdom grow as the story moves forward. This is where we're going to end our time this morning in remembering the story, remembering what is the good news. We've been talking about mission and vision and strategy and all these things are really important, but underneath all of that is the foundation of the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. That is what we are crazy about. People experiencing this good news. So before we get to the baptism moment, I just want to walk us through the story as a way to close both this time this morning, but also this conversation we've been in this fall. All right, the story begins with God, this perfect community of three persons in one being, perfect community of right relationships, a community of self-giving, sacrificial love. By definition, could not contain that to himself. And so he chooses to extend this community By creating our world, and he creates this world, he calls it good. He puts human beings at the center of his creation. He says we bear his image, male and female, and then he invites us to work with him. Okay, The original co-mission, taking care of and stewarding this creation, and he calls this partnership, this arrangement, very good. This state of right relationships between us and God and between each other exists until one day human beings rebel against God's good ordering of creation. We think, oh, we can do this better. Here's a better plan. In rejecting the way that God set it up and going off on our own, we create a significant fallout. 
God says there's going to be consequences to this. We are now separated. Our relationship is broken. This is what we call sin, and the results of this are suffering and death. Now, the story could have ended there. It could have ended there, but God stays engaged. This perfect community of right relationships, sacrificial, self-giving love, stays engaged with the world that he made. He picks a family to be a vehicle of blessing, to demonstrate this is what it could look like to live in right relationship. This family grows, it becomes a nation, and then there's this long history, this repeated pattern of togetherness, rejection, reunion. Togetherness, rejection, reunion. Over and over again, the pattern keeps repeating. And so God says, you know what, one day I am going to send someone who will disrupt this pattern once and for all. And so this family, again, now a large nation, hopes and longs for this disruptive presence. And when they talk about this disruptive presence, they use the language of king and kingdom. Someday we will have a king, and he will be a good king, and he will restore this kingdom. But then the king does come, and people don't recognize who he is. This Jesus, as he sets about living a new kind of life, inviting people into a different way of life, teaching about this new reality called the kingdom of heaven, many people do not recognize it. It doesn't look like what they expected. Because it really is disruptive. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Blessed are the poor and the meek. The last shall be first. The powers of Jesus' day did not like this upheaval. And so they killed Jesus. Not knowing... The great irony, of course, not knowing that this act of love, this is the act that will fix everything that got messed up at the beginning. Jesus lays his life down. He allows himself to be killed. He goes down into the grave on our behalf. And then three days later, he comes back up. And it is this moment This historical reality that changes our world, changes our universe, and everything about it forever. This moment that we call the resurrection. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's the story. God comes down into our sin and mess and overcomes it through resurrection. This story begins in love and it ends in redemption. And so we are then invited to live with great imagination and freedom in this life now, knowing we are loved and secure in that love. And then we also have this great hope for the future, for eternity, for that day when everything will be made right again. The only question left this morning is, have you received this gift? Have you responded to this good news is your identity now in 
what Jesus has done for you? And are you living in this new story? Let's pray. Father, we begin with gratitude, we end with gratitude as well. Overwhelmed by how much love and grace you have for us. When we think about how the story begins, just how good that situation and that arrangement was that you created for us and how much we have messed it up, God, it is almost impossible to wrap our minds around you staying engaged in it. And yet you do. You pursue us. You keep coming after us. You keep inviting us back. Come back. Come back. And ultimately, God, you have taken the initiative. You have done the work to make us right again. Through Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, overcoming the barrier between us so that we can live in right relationship again. Father, I pray for uh, anyone here this morning who has not yet responded to that good news uh, that maybe even today is the time to do that. To just say, yes, I will receive this. I accept this gift. Thank you, God, for what you have done for me. For others of us, strengthen us in that identity. We, we may believe oh, that this is the good news and that this is the story, but we're still living from a place of trying to prove ourselves, trying to earn your uh, affirmation. Remind us that there's nothing that we can do to earn that. You look at us as your children with whom you are well pleased. And then, Father, as a community, help us to continue to live this story out, this good news story, so that many people would see and know and experience, would discover the good news of Jesus. We pray this this morning in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.